The podcast you're getting ready to listen to is quite possibly one of the most profound conversations Nate and I have ever had in our entire lives. We know you're going to enjoy it, and thus the name The State of the World Address comes featuring Bill Howard. Welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. I'm Nick Sowers here in the studio with my buddy Nate Hyatt. And again, we are having the one and only Bill Howard back on the podcast. I mean, it's basically the only ways we only way we can get listens at this point. So we figured we'd have him back. I mean, he's his last podcast, uh, all of his podcasts are in our top 10 feed. I think they're even maybe close into the top five. So, you know, you're a pretty popular guy. Um, we've got his autograph on the wall now and everything. So it's official. <laughs> So uh, we're just uh, we're just we're really glad to have you back, Bill. Um, appreciate you being here. Yeah, and I want to thank all my family for listening on those on those occasions. So. <laughs> <laughs> An extended family. Yeah, we um, we kind of had been digesting some things that we really wanted to talk about, yeah. and I know that we there was a lot of a lot of stuff that was left unsaid in the last two that we were wanting to, and then we got even more now. So I'm assuming we're going to digest Nashville a little bit while we're here too, right? Yes, it's your podcast. This. I'm sir. so looking forward to this. Let's do this. So, where do you want to start? You got the script there. What are we doing? <laughs> oh, these are just some notes. You know, I, I do my homework sometimes so <laughs> before I come on here because I, I know you guys will stump me. Um, well, first of all, um, thank you for having me back on. I appreciate that, and uh, I kind of feel like I was telling you, like I feel like. Alec Baldwin on SNL, you know, how many times he got to come back. That was pretty, <laughs> pretty cool. But, uh, no, I don't, I just appreciate uh, the platform to be able to talk about this kind of stuff that I think is helpful and meaningful to anyone who's listening. So, and you know, we're not going to tell you what you can and can't say. Yeah. And I, I regret that. I wish you would tell me <laughs> some of the but things the, the, I would the say. time, the times that you like get told what you can and can't say, you regret that too. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're, conver- <laughs> I won't say who or when or where, sure. but the conversations you get directed that you can and can't have. So, um, you know, I, I know that, uh, one of the things that we really wanted to kind of start in and, and hit on, at least that I remember from you talking about was, uh, well, I guess let's just back up. Like, first of all, I guess what brings you to town? What are you doing in town? Like what's, what's new in your life? Let's start there. Well, I'm, I'm teaching again for KLETC. Um, uh, well, the Lila program, Law Enforcement Leadership Academy, which you are a student in. Yep, right. It's the week-long supervisor school. And I just happened to be um, standing in for one of the instructors who had a surgery and couldn't make it. So it was a good opportunity. You and I connected and said, hey, let's do it that week. And that's that's why we're here today. Yeah, we had a, just had uh, finally the stars aligned. Uh, we've been talking about this for, I don't know, probably six months or more about getting in on this and we kind of left the last one where we we kind of digested um uvalde was i think the last one that we had you on was the rob elementary school shooting was the one we really kind of went into 
Yeah, I did that remotely and interrupted you yeah. repeatedly. I apologize. For there that. was a lag there. Remember, mm-hmm. there was a lag there. <laughs> so, um, so, but you, you know, we you really wanted to kind of hit in on the, and I hundred percent agree with you of the why. Why is this continuing to happen? Why are we seeing these active killer events? Because you'll hear me say active killer a lot. I don't like active shooter personally. To me, shooter is an endearing term. Shooter means you know how to run a gun. And these cowards have not earned the term shooter. They are a killer. They are a murderer. That is the title they have earned. Mm-hmm. So so what do you uh, what do you have for us to digest on why you think this is happening? We can well, kind of get into it there. Remember last time I talked about the triad of law enforcement of mental physical and spiritual health and uh i'd like to congratulate you because you paid attention to that and you actually did the challenge of was it the hard 75 75 hard yeah and uh i kind of followed you through that and it inspired me to do the same so we actually listened to our own advice (laughs) yeah i thought you know i've lost 25 pounds and and continue to work out and get in shape. I mean, I'm I'm really concerned about um, being ready to make a decision, you know, after running a block or so. So, um, um, and the interesting thing about that is it seems like it may have inspired other employees around me on my shift, and they're doing the same thing. I mean, whether it's because of me or, or not, I don't know, because they never said it's because of me. But it seems like, Maybe we're all sensing the same thing at the same time. Like we're all watching this stuff happen. We're like, oh, wonderful. I'm ready for this. Yeah. You know? And so we're all getting ready. And, and I think I, I congratulate you for your weight loss and the challenge that you took up, you took it up and took it seriously. Well, and I was inspired by you too, because you said that in the first podcast, essentially of like, you know, of making sure that you are a ready responder. And I was kind of like, man, like you've talking to me without talking to me, you know, like I, that was what I needed to hear at the time I needed to hear it. And I was even mentioning to you when I saw you today, I was like, man, looking good when you, when you walked in. <laughs> well, I think the term you use was I shamed you into. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not at all. Not at okay, all. I, I, I hope it inspired you because I mean, I, I felt very strongly about it. Uh, for me as well. So, um, but yeah, I, I had the same thing happen, um, with, with people around me, like one of the deputies, he started 75 hard. Another lady, she started in on the gallon of water because she watched me regularly consuming that gallon of water. Like I would go to the jail and I would drink coffee, but I love coffee. Absolutely love it. So what I would do was between every cup of coffee, I had to consume either four or five cups of water. And after I did five or six cups of coffee, I'd gotten my gallon in, um, whatever the ounces were. And so she started consuming the water. And then I encouraged her to do the daily photo, but just of her face, just to show the complexion difference. And if you change nothing other than water. Wow. So I've seen that same thing happening around uh, where I work as well. So I'd have to agree with that. It's contagious. Yeah, 100%. We so, talked about that um, in class today, didn't we, about yep. contagions? Or courage is contagious, and so yeah. is fear. Right. Yeah. And uh, we gave some examples of that, and uh, we think that that's probably what happened at Uvalde. You know, fear was contagious, and it kind of spread um, from the the very first people that showed up and got shot at because there was a driving force going on, and then um, they kind of 
caused them to yield and then the chief himself in action on his part. Yeah. But then we've had a few things happen since then as restored a little bit of the reputation of law enforcement. And um, the Nashville one, we showed that video in class today. And um, what are your thoughts? You know, it, it's definitely a stark difference uh, from Rob Elementary School to um, to the Nashville shooting. Uh, you know, it's not advisable to drink and breathe at the same time, Nate. <coughs> All right. <coughs> All right, we're good to go. Um, and so it's it's definitely a stark difference because you know, but at the beginning of Rob Elementary School, you see a lot of the officers going, "Hey, shots fired! Get in there! Go! 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 Go!" You know, you kind of had that initial spark of of that kind of leadership run of like, "Let's get in there! Let's get things done." But it was also interesting too because, uh, and I am guilty of this, looking at my body camera video on one of my first chases, I was amped up. It took me almost ten years to get in my first car chase. I was amped up, and I made an ass of myself at the end of it. Of course, I digested that and was like, whoa, that was wrong. Um, but this officer at Nashville, when he gets out, she's like, the, the lady, she's like, hey, they're upstairs. And how did, how did, how did, and he just, yes, ma'am, slings the gun, mm-hmm. racks around in, mm-hmm. goes and gets the key from her. Give me three, give me three, give me three. And they'll you know, start in that, and boom, they move in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slow, methodical, clear, hear the shot, sound of the gunshots, move to the sounds of gunshots, neutralize the threat. And from what I saw in the video, three minutes, 47 seconds, I think is what I saw. You know, and I want to give credit to that, too, because not only did the officer, as a patrolman, lead that whole scenario to a successful outcome, I would say. But he waited for his backup in, in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, like, he's like, give me three. Um, now, I think the last time I talked on your program, I think I said, you know, you're the first one there. Go. Get in yeah. there. Go. And well, But he had guys right there with him. So, I mean. That's why I wanted to talk yeah. a little bit about that is because I have to kind of modify. I mean, if if your backup's a country mile away, it is you. Yeah. But if they're within earshot, why wouldn't you get more guns, you know, beside you and with you? And the way they were clearing was exactly the way we're trained to clear. Yep. You had one in the hallway, others going in, and then bifurcating throughout the interior, looking in closets and other storage areas. And they did it smooth, smooth as fast. And the one guy was in control. He was obviously very competent. What was his name? Fitz... Fitzgerald or something. I can't remember his name, but he's very competent. Uh, the other part of that is once they had the stimuli, which was the shots, they moved immediately to the second level. Rex, Rex Engelbert. Engelbert. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. No, good. Fact check me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used Zing. to that. <laughs> no, no, that's good. I, I, I want you to do that. And so, uh, I mean, all I can say is that that was a good model of the way we've been trained. And Fletzy training teaches a concept called Limpin that I'm sure you're familiar with, which we're being trained with where I'm at all the time. It's called limited penetration into the room. You can do a wash across the room very quickly. Um, so if I had to modify anything that went on in that um, Nashville shooting, it would be 
they could have gone even faster with limb pin concepts of eye washing the room and moving on to the next one because you had no bodies in there. You had no reason to believe the suspect was in there. But they were waiting for a stimuli, but when they got the stimuli, they moved directly to the threat and eliminated the threat. And uh, it just, it's what we're trained to do. It's heroic. And uh, the officer gave little to no thought to his own safety, any of them that were moving towards a threat. And you notice he moved past other officers, too. Did you pick up on that? Mm -hmm. And um, we talked about that at work. And like what came out of that was he had the long gun and they were waving him on because he had the superior weapon. Yeah. And even the, the, the other detective was telling him, push that LPVO, push yes. that LPVO because he knew that that other officer knew the capabilities of that weapon system and what it offered right. to the situation. Right. And so um, LPVOs you've heard me talk about on the podcast before are low power variable optics, which is, it looked like a Razor Vortex uh, HD. I'm not sure which generation it was on top of that gun. Mm-hmm. And a very, very capable op- optic system on a patrol rifle. I mean, li- near to far, it'll do what you need it to do. Nice. So well, he hit what he was aiming for. <clears throat> and then since then, we've had the Knoxville shooting uh, at the bank where one of the officers got hit in the head. And uh, was it uh, how many employees were shot inside the bank? That part I don't know. Was it like a robbery go- gone wrong? No, it was a, an employee who was terminated. They won't give us much information about him, um, which tells me that it doesn't fit the narrative. Whatever mm-hmm. his problem was doesn't fit the narrative that the media is pushing. So he wasn't a right-wing extremist, or we would know the last time he took a crap. Yeah. And that's what irritates me. They're not they're not really identifying the problem. You and I talked about this. They're not really identifying the problem. They're just suggesting what the problem is and they're trying to eliminate whatever their narrative is. Yeah, in the days of like Walter Cronkite, it used to be that the news gave you the facts and then you formulated your opinions. Now the news cycle is they give you their opinions or whatever they want, and you're supposed to decide whether the information you're getting is factual or not. So that's been the fundamental change in the news cycle. To you know, we we discussed it with Rashad and and everybody at, at uh, supper, the, the propaganda machine that we're all trying to battle against. Right. You know, and just little bits of us here on podcast trying man, to battle against. I congratulate that. you guys for this. This is uh, this is huge. Like I explained, there's a lot of people that would probably like to come on your program and talk about their their same the same things we're talking about and uh, give a counterculture view yeah. that we've all been silenced we've all been canceled for our opinions and uh, th- this is the only true media outlet right now yep as you know you've been canceled too yep we did we got kicked off YouTube for glorifying and inciting violence over our J6 podcast or January 6 podcast so you're right it's terrible um so, uh, as we talk today, I just want to say that I'm coming at this from a Christian worldview and uh, through the lens of an experienced police officer. So, I've had 40 years of experience in law enforcement at all levels of law enforcement. And so, anyone who, you know, isn't down with that, they're going to probably going to want to tune out right now. But I'd encourage you to stick around and listen because, you know, you might hear 
a counter view that might make sense to you. So, um, I've asked you guys to look up uh, a couple of Bible verses for me, and yep. I think it would be a good way to kick this off. Um, Nate, could you read Second Timothy uh, three one through seven? Sure, it, can. in the title of it. <clears throat> The perilous times of perilous men. Perilous times and perilous men. But know this, that in the last days of perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Thanks. Uh, I think that pretty accurately describes where we're at in our society, which should indicate something that we're in the last times. Mm-hmm. We're in the very last days, the last minutes of the last hour of the last days is my opinion. I mean, they, they nailed that 2000 years ago. They nailed every one of those things. Mm-hmm. And um, so, first of all, we have to realize that we are in the last t- times and people are becoming more violent in these last times. Uh, and that's because of the vacuum that's been left behind because we've, um, remove God from the public forum, and we remove God from um, pretty much every facet. <laughs> yes, and um, I, I think just think that that's a very accurate description of the times we're in. Your thoughts? I was getting emotional listening to it. Um, you know, I, the only thing I can think there is how wicked are we? You know, I mean, we are not. You know, and Christ died on the cross knowing that this was coming, that all of this was happening, that we were going to be who we are and doing what we are, yet he still chose to die for us. How wicked are we? We are not worthy. We'll never be worthy. Even even you and I as as Christ followers, and you and I, sorry, as well. Um, you know, it, it, we will never be worthy of what he did for us. And yet we're still here on our high horse. And having that love of, um, as a society, having that love of everything but Christ and everything but God. And, you know, uh, we removed even church during COVID. And they shut down your ability to go to church. Now you could all gather outside of a Walmart and go shopping and still keep that mighty dollar rolling. Whereas if you think of it from a logical standpoint, would you not want to spread people out during a pandemic and have them shop at local places where they could you know, go somewhere that maybe wasn't as busy or whatever, but you know, that's a, a whole another subject. So that's my, my feelings on that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. I mean, we're exactly in those times it's, um, and who's to say, like, we're in the end times. Who's to say that's a day from now or a hundred years from now, you know, we may like the way that time works for God is, Completely different for us, mm. you know? Well, that's because time is, is very linear. Mm-hmm. It's very black and white. It's yeah. a constant, and I don't think time governs our God because it's constraining, and no. nothing constrains our God. No, that is 
hundred percent. And just to me, like you see it every day on social media and just like the things that almost false idols that people follow on Instagram, you know, and Twitter and TikTok, And we just, we just see that everywhere. Um, and the people that we look up to like Andrew Tate, like, like he is that to the T, you know? And to me, it's just, it's, it's scary. It really is. Right. Well, there's got, there's got to be truth in the world. And, um, Christians are centered on God's truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the world is no longer, at least the United States is no longer drawing from truth. So I think this explains why there is so much confusion. Um, we can't even define how many gender there, genders there are right now. And that's because we've moved swiftly away from God's truth and his protection. In his natural order. His natural order, yes. Uh, and his protection, his hedge of protection that once our nation once enjoyed. So um, that's something to think about. And I remember thinking that on September 11th, like, okay, God has brought down the hedge of protection around our country, and now we're being attacked on our own soil, a multi-pronged attack on one day. And then you look at all the the same things that plagued Israel. Um, you look at um, the weather that's going on. I mean, that is a... I think God's hedge of protection has been lifted. God's still for us, but he says in his word, you know, um, you do so. He gives an example in his word where Israel did certain things and he departed from them and and left them to their own devices. He's not going to force his will on any of us. And that's where we're at right now. Then I asked you, Nick, um, would you, would you read that Romans one? 20 through 32. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God. Excuse me, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness uh, in the in lust in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, you wanted me to go to 32? I'll read the rest if you want. Okay. Okay. For, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which were, un- were which were not fitting 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are worshipers, backbiters, whispers, I'm sorry, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Are we not there right now? <clears throat> so this is the truth. The truth is not acceptable in our society anymore. That's why they had to get rid of the Bible. That's why they had to get rid of God in the square, because this is hate language. And I challenge that this will be outlawed in our country someday. I challenge that just mentioning this over these airways, somebody's going to come for you. I mean, in China it is, you know, like you can't even own a Bible in China. Right. Or jail, prison. Right. Yeah. Um, I actually saw a very... I'm sure it's more than just China, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a very interesting video on like Instagram or something. It was a reel where this guy had, had ventured to China as a Christian man to, you know, um, as a missionary. And he was meeting with people who were in prison for merely just being a believer mm-hmm. to the point that they were getting little pieces of scripture that they would then put commit to memory and, and eat the paper. And in that process of talking to them, he said he was talking to them and one lady s- said to him, I wish, I hope someday we can be like America where we can, you know, be Christians like in America. And he goes, he goes, I hope that you never become like America. When it comes to your faith, he goes, because he goes, we have, it's open, it's easy, it's free. People still don't come to church. They still don't consume the word. You are so hungry for the word in every sense of the, of the term that you're having pieces of paper brought in at your own peril. You could be killed for this to then memorize it so that you can know God's word and then have to eat the piece of paper to save your own life. He goes, we should be more like you. Yeah. hundred percent. 100%. So, when I was a kid, in the 60s, they had outlawed prayer in the schools. And But our principal at my elementary school, I'll never forget his name, William Schneider at Welburn Elementary, continued with prayer over the PA system every morning. So, we got prayer. We got we saluted the flag and then we did our country tis of thee. I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but we sang that. So every morning and then at lunchtime, we got prayer at lunchtime as well. Now what on earth is so harmful about praying little kids who need self restraint, you know, starting their day off with prayer and pledging allegiance to our country. You think about how far we've come from that. You know, and even even the term, the slogan, one nation under God is being challenged. In God we trust. All of that is being challenged by the atheists, which is a religion, by the way. I don't care what they say. It is a religion of unbelief. It's a religion of science. And 
my opinion is this is just me personally i think um darwinism has harmed our country beyond repair it has seeped into every section of our society evolution old earth all of these things that are counter scripture you see if you do not believe in the book of genesis that is your whole foundation for your faith and a lot of people even pastors are saying you know it's not literal it's 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 you know it could still be an old earth it still could have been the big bang and they're accepting some of these things so we've moved away from truth and uh, i remember as a kid we had a black and white television that only went on certain hours of the day the programming was highly censored you never saw nudity never heard a cuss word on on public television we had cbs nbc and abc and then you had a uhf channel and that was it on pbs channel and that was it you had five channels that you could turn to you had to actually get up and change the channel nate with a knob oh, yes <laughs> and you had rabbit ears on top if you wanted to tune it in. the kids were the remote back then <laughs> and it was black and white and tv was not a mainstay in our day it was downtime but the point of that is we used to have a lot of censorship, but now you can watch TV 24-7. You know, I remember when TV went off the air at, um, like, midnight on a Friday. Like, you got nothing but a signal that said, <laughs> and you got the tone that woke you up and sent you to bed. Mm -hmm. We don't have any of that anymore. We literally have thousands of channels you can watch 24-7. And so it's a lot like what we talked about over dinner um, with Rashad. Um Secondary trauma has impacted our youth. They've been traumatized by all of this media. Um, and that's because we've, we've removed the societal safeguards that were once in place to protect our minds. And that's where we're at with these active shooters. I think that, well, I've got a lot of theories I'd like to go over if we, if we have enough time, but, um, Let's do this till midnight for all Man, I'm concerned. I, I, you know, we might have to. <laughs> but uh, think about all the media outlets that we have available to us, okay? Um, now, um, they've interviewed serial murderers, serial sexual murderers, serial rapists. And what they've all pretty much admitted is that they needed something to fuel their sickness, their um, depravity. And um, they all gravitated towards pornography. Now, pornography does impact everyone's mind, but not doesn't impact everyone's mind the same. So if you have that propensity towards violence or they call it a love map. You have a love map that you, you is your journey. And if something happens to you as a child when your love map is on the path, it can knock you off your, your love path. And it can send you to a depraved, dark place that you live out your journey on that dark, downward path. Does that make sense? Yeah. You hear Dahmer talk about that? 
like he was exposed to dead things about the time he became sexually active in his mind. And he was also, I believe, molested. Um, and so you had all these different things going on with him where he, he, he confused, um, his love map got kind of turmoiled or confused and to the point to where he was sleeping with, um, mannequins. Yep. And it became a thing of control. Like he wanted to control people, his sexual partners. So the way he gratified that was he bought a mannequin. He slept with it. His grandma came in, found it, shamed him over that, got rid of the mannequin. And then he created real mannequins or live people that he slept with and controlled and tortured and murdered and things like that. But he, he's even said that, um, um, his love map was kind of skewed when he was younger and something popped in his brain where he wasn't normal. And this is what's happening to our youth with, with all of this trauma that their brains are being exposed to with the violence on television, the violence in media. I'm going to take a breath so you guys can talk. Well, they're just like young, undeveloped brains are not ready for that sheer amount of information they're getting. Whether that's good information or bad information, like our kids, like one, two-year-olds are watching these videos and learning so much by the age of four that they're just, their minds are just going so fast already at that pace and they don't have time to be kids at all. You know, it's just information overload from the time they can hold their head up and watch a screen. Yeah, if you look at um, magnetic resonance imaging of children's brains after playing violent video games, the the same areas are um, activated um, when you're having like fight or flight um, experiences, and you know that's going to be in your like amygdala, spinal cord, you know those kind of things that kind of process and sensor that uh, because the way it comes up through the brain stem it's then assigned is this dangerous to me or not at which point if it's not then it continues on in the process mm-hmm. you know and so in that fight or flight process you're also releasing things like cortisol as well as other chemicals and things like that and so you're repeatedly doing that over time and then you're you're actually changing the neuroplasticity of the brain uh, something that we've heard Janine talk about a lot uh, and it can it can be fixed. You can fix the brain, but when you have damaged it from such a young age into adulthood, you're not going to fix that anytime soon, if ever. Um, so th- I mean, science science backs backs that up a hundred percent as well. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast of a neuroscience scientist who was talking about that, and he was saying that. Um, what's happening, they're creating highways through their brain through pornography to so bad that young men can only become aroused by watching sex. And they've watched so much pornography, the actual act of sex isn't as appealing to them, if you can imagine, as watching it and, uh, you know, and, and um, pleasuring themselves while watching it. Um, they've essentially become peeping toms. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you, you, you are the, uh, you know, you ran the drug unit for a little bit. You did undercover stuff, right? Yeah. So when, when, when people normally start in on drugs, do they start in slamming it first or, uh, or injecting it, shooting it up? Right. Typically, typically, is that how they start? Right. No. no. So 
they normally start with something like uh like maybe insufflation smoking it or eating it or something like that but eventually no longer is that high as intense as it used to be so in order to get a high you either you have some options consume more uh, get it into the system a different way get it right into the bloodstream where because if you eat it it actually loses some of its potency because your stomach acid will actually break it down prior to it having the chance to get into the bloodstream as effectively. Insufflation is is the better way, but it's also you lose some of it in a uh, sometimes most of the time a burning process of some kind. You know, you're, you're car- decarboxylating. Is that what it is? Um, you're, you're usually decarboxylating something that you're then putting into your system. But then the best way to do it is, in its purest, most potent form, is to inject it intravenously. Pornography is the same way. You start with, I mean, I remember, um, and to be, to be fair, I've talked about it on this podcast before. Po- pornography is something I have 100% struggled with. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I remember being a kid and seeing, like, a woman in a bikini was like, whoa. You know, or 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 a one piece, or something that was tight to the skin. You know, and then you know, and then you, you see something where they take maybe take that off, and they're in a two piece, or um, you know, now you see a little bit of nipple or some side boob or whatever. And so it's the same thing: is you're giving your brain that dopamine release, and now you need something different. So now you're maybe watching, you know, a man and a woman do that kind of thing, and then that's good, and that hits for a while, and then you move to the next thing, whether that's then, you know, in maybe uh, bondage sadomasochism, that gets the next thing. And then pretty soon you're like, you're, you're kind of running out of things that rev the motor up and it, it changes, it changes your brain chemistry. These active killers, um, they are developing fantasies of revenge, I think is what's going on with them. Um, a lot of them, if you look at the com- commonalities between them, there are, they can actually project some of the commonalities. Now they're just not releasing that. I don't know why, but if you study these kids, you're going to see that. Hey, man, they kind of had a lot in common, dating way back to Columbine. I mean, these kids were some of them were really bullied. They were awkward. They weren't accepted. They were isolated. Um, they were um, not socially accepted. They were probably teased and um, probably picked on. And I think, well, what, what's going on with them is they are developing this hatred and uh, they want to get revenge. So a lot of these, are they're started by a fantasy. And what's fueling that fantasy of getting even? What do you think it is? The fuel for the fire? I mean... Uh... I'm just going to take a stab in the dark here for me. Like the dopamine rush they're going to get from that? No, I mean, just like the pornography Mm -hmm. is to a sexual predator, um, violent movies, violent media, violent gaming, all of that is feeding this fire Mm -hmm. that's within them, this rage that is building up. And they're, they're somehow getting a release through this pretend thing, but just as uh, Nick had, had said that, you know, after a while it wears off. Now you want to do it for real. 
I think a lot of these kids are living out their fantasies is what's going on. And they're, they have suicidal ideations. And um, at the end game is they want to die, but they want to take people with them. The people that they feel are responsible, which is, uh, for some of them, is everybody. Everybody, they, they just... They don't trust anybody at that point, so they're, they're so. done. Yeah. Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Um, one of the notes that I was making as we were talking here was I see my kids watching these YouTube families and they live in these huge houses and they got all these nice cars and stuff because I mean, they get hundreds of millions of YouTube views and that's how they make their money. But they get these quote unquote packages in the mail that were surprises and all this other kind of stuff. And my kids are seeing their kids getting like these toys or these things or going on these trips or whatever that they perceive as reality that like these people are that they're just living their natural life and the, all these things are just happening by accident. You know, they don't realize the concerted effort at marketing that's going into this. Like they're trying to get you to buy a product. They're trying to get you to watch the YouTube. I mean, they think it's reality. Those families are basically paid actors. Yeah, exactly. At that point, you know, and and so as a result of that, um, you know, they my children in the beginning when they were first consuming that stuff thought that was reality. Like, whoa, dad, you got to see this. At which point, I, being an older man, was able to recognize what was going on and mentored to my children, saying, "That's not real." And I remember my father pausing violent TV shows or something like that or whatever, like if I happened to be there and he would look right at me every single time and tell me, this is not real life. This is not how we handle ourselves in the real world. This is, we don't hurt people. We don't kill people. We defend ourselves or we defend others if someone's trying to hurt them, but this is not real life. And I always rolled my eyes. I know dad, I've heard this a million times. I get it. Press play, you know. But you talked on the last podcast about the bull elephants leaving that herd and then the youngsters getting out of control. Well, that's another plank thing plaguing this whole issue is, you know, just like Rashad said, moving away from the nuclear family and, you know, having having uh, absent fathers, absent mothers, absent both grandparents raising kids who are the screwed up the parents, which are the reason that they're raising their grandkids. Um, There's some... Uh great grandparents raising kids now i don't doubt that but you know that that's another thing that's missing is that mentorship through what this is that's life because as a christ follower i mean this is a broken world we live in a broken world and we need that truth to nurture us and get us through this and we are you know i'm not sure if it's the right word but it's what comes to mind Uh, we're the vanguard essentially of our family that kind of protects them as men you know, sitting in this room. And if you ever become a father someday, please, I beg you, remember all these conversations. Learn from our mistakes that we made as parents. And if you're ever struggling, if you're ever struggling, please call. Mm-hmm. Um, because that culture change and, and, and being present in our children's lives is also what's, I mean, just desperately missing. I mean, we, we as men, we leave our families and we create and we start a new one. We join together with a woman and we become one. And we are own family. And I am even protective of that to my own parents when they try to, you know, maybe do some things that I don't necessarily agree with. Now, I don't hate them, but I, I don't hesitate saying no because I take that to heart very much. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we talked to, you talk about the culture. Um, we've talked about the media and the, what we're seeing is a normalization of uh, what I call aberrant behaviors. And uh, it's being normalized in, in front of our eyes. And I, I say it like this. We've lost our moral outrage because there's been so many phonies, pastors, that led these movements that were found to be total phonies that we don't trust anyone now. I mean, we don't even trust our own churches anymore because there's been so many people on television that made millions of dollars off of Christians that Christians are jaded as well. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about in the end times, men's hearts will grow or will wax cold from violence, from being exposed to violence. And I think um, these these aberrant behaviors, uh, you think about, um, is it, uh, what is that program? Uh, the zombie one, uh, Walking Dead. Walking Dead, yeah. I've listened to podcasts to military people that actually had to kill people in the line of duty that were abhorred by watching Walking Dead because someone would have to take a baseball bat and beat somebody's head off in that. that That is conditioning people's minds to accept violence. You're scaring me right now because my young, oldest son loves Walking Dead. And I never really watched it. It didn't really appeal to me. Well, we're... I have to re-examine that. Yeah. Well, what, he's, his brain is being traumatized. And and it's being normalized in his brain. And I think that this is a conditioning that's happening to um, people who are unhinged. Why do we have so... We talked about this over dinner. Why do we have so much mental illness right now in our country that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago? Well, I mean, I think Rashad put it best of, you know, you have pharma pharmaceutical companies driving them wanting to sell things. And so they're going to come up with pills to fix conditions that their pills you are know, creating. Yeah. And, well, and not only that, but because we have moved away from God, because we have moved away from truth, because we have screwed up our map, our brains are fried and, and messed up and stuff as a result. Yes. There's a God vacuum that we're trying to fill with pills Drugs, alcohol, Sex. pornography, yeah. entertainment, entertainment, um, and you know the entertainment industry is going to do whatever it takes to make a buck. But they're also they realize to entertain you, it's going to have to get more grotesque, uh, volatile. It's going to have to be more shocking. It's going to get more extreme and extreme and extreme, just like everything else we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. I remember when The Exorcist came out when I was a lad, a young lad. And they would not show it in the United States. And then when they allowed it in the United States, well, I'm sorry, they wouldn't show it in England, but they wouldn't show it in a lot of theaters in the United States. Like we, we spent our summers in Cole Camp, Missouri, and they refused to allow that movie because of how diabolical it was. And spiritually speaking, it was, uh, demonic, uh, and, Young minds shouldn't be exposed to that. That was rated X. <laughs> Think about that. Today, that's like PG-13 at best. Today, it's on network television. Think about how far we've fallen. And like I, like I told you in class today, I've touched seven decades now. Uh, I've been alive almost 60 years. And I've had my foot in seven decades now. And I, I can tell you things have changed tremendously. And it's getting rapidly devolving quicker and quicker. Um, 
So that's that's where we're at. Um, there's a God vacuum as people are trying to fill that. God put inside of every human being the knowledge that he exists and the knowledge that one day they will be judged is what the scripture says. He also put a natural hunger to know him because of that knowledge. And he promises that if you seek me with all your might, with all your will, you will find me. So in a sense, you ha- you have to pursue God to fill that vacuum. And um, he's there. He can be found, but it's up to you to find him. So he's made himself, the, the very, Christ said these very rocks will cry out if these people didn't proclaim who I was. And nature would cry out um, and, and does cry out every day. I mean, why do you think people want to go fishing and take a walk in the mountains or woods and go hiking? They don't realize it, but they're drawing closer to nature because nature is screaming God, is screaming it back to us. And when they get out and get into nature, they're, they're getting a little closer to God. They just don't realize about what's going to happen to those people who didn't find him or didn't look for him. Um, what's going to happen is they're going to be judged for that because God's going to say, that time you went for a walk, I was whispering to you and you never yielded to me. So, man, I just remember how much Christianity was woven into the fabric of our society when I was growing up. It was everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere without being reminded of Jesus Christ. And can you imagine my horror growing up in the 60s and 70s, even though it was already on the steady downcline, can you imagine my horror when I heard Barack Obama say, we no longer consider ourselves a Christian nation. And he was speaking truth, but it was hard to hear. And not only that, he approved of what he was saying. I mean, he was bragging about that. So, ah, man, it's been difficult to watch, but it's accelerating where we're at right now. So, Well, you've had that desensitization. You know, it used to be when you would turn on the news and you would hear about a murder or something like that, at least around here. I don't know what it was like up in the KCK area back in the day, but, you know, speaking of, uh, people being abhorred, that would be one of those times that you would do that. You'd see that on the news and ah, that happened, right? you know, but then the key is you, you, I don't know if you've listened to the last several podcasts, but you hear me talk about how verbiage is exceptionally important. We're being referred to as a democracy or a representative republic or a constitutional right. republic. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the information and the words that are being said are very intentional I mean, they're reading from a piece of paper. Like they are, they are, they, the words are exceptionally important. And so through that desensitization is, it used to be when you were on the news, it was John Smith was shot today. You know, he died as a result of his injuries, blah, 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 whatever. Now you've gotten to the point where it's like there were 23 murders today. So we've reduced people to things, to a number. We've desensitized the community in getting away from our Christian values in valuing life. And I don't agree 
with the trans movement. But I will tell you, if a trans person showed up to my church, I would welcome them inside. Mm -hmm. If they needed help from me, I would help them. You know, if they, if they ask me, am I going to heaven? I'm going to tell them, I don't think so. You're living openly in sin. But, you know, that, that, that desensitization and, um, just reducing people to nothing more than a thing is what's gotten us in trouble as well. Because we're seeing, we're being divided amongst lines of, you know, if you're a cop, I'm black, I'm supposed to hate you. You know, if you're white, I'm black, I'm supposed to hate you. If you're Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm supposed to hate you. Mm -hmm. When that's not how any of that works. Yeah, um, we're seeing, um, we're seeing that and, you talk about the desensitization. Um, there's been um, literal boundaries that have been removed. Uh, you know, even around our nation, we no longer really enforce our our boundaries, and I think that's oh, boy. that's symptomatic of uh, of the overall problem. There are no boundaries, and it's very emblematical too. Yeah, yeah. Think about. Um, the loss of respect for authority, that was a boundary that we all once upheld. Um, and you can now punch a teacher or cuss, cuss a cop out. All of that's on social media and people are giving it thumbs up and enjoying it. You know, this lack of respect for authority, authority is under attack. I think it started from the informalization uh, that we saw like when... If you ever get a chance to go back and look at old pictures, uh, like from the 30s, um, you'll see that men wore suits yep. and hats, and top hats, hats yep. and women wore dresses and top hats or hats. Um, go back and look at some baseball games. Uh, everybody there was dressed formally and they had their wingtips on. They were, you know, when they were in society, when they were out in public, they were dressed formally. So, we got away from that, and and that's understandable. I mean, who's going to maintain a suit all the time, everywhere, wear a tie, wear, you know, I understand that. But we're doing that in church as well. Now, we used to call that wearing our Sunday best yep. for a reason, because you gave God your best. You wore your Sunday best to church. I was attending a church for three years, and I continued to show up in my Sunday best. And I was the odd guy out. Even the older guys that were in my men's group were like, man, you sure look nice, but you don't have to wear that. God doesn't care what you wear. God looks on the inside. So I go into this whole spiel about, you know, maybe God is looking on my inside. I know even on the outside, he sees Jesus Christ or he would zap me immediately. I don't do this for that. I do this out of reverence. You know, I want to revere God. And I know this is going to upset some people that listen to this because they want to go in their khakis or. Well, it's interesting because I had the same things told to me. Exactly. Really? Mm -hmm. So you wear a suit? No, I used to. Oh, okay. Well. But then I had the human condition and got lazy. Well, yeah. And our pastor was showing up in Hawaiian shirts and cowboy boots and all these things and uh, vest and all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, man. I mean, so. Why are we teaching people that that's okay? So I eventually went to another church that was a little more 
uh, old fashioned and, um, they all wear, you know, their Sunday best and I just feel more comfortable there. But I just think that that is a symbol of where the boundaries are coming down and we're just relaxing all the formalities in society. And I think that played a role. Think about this. People no longer use titles for aunts and uncles. It used to be Aunt Jean. Now it's just Jean or Uncle Bill. Now it's just Bill. My my wife is very particular about that. If my kids refer to their aunt or uncle by their first name, it's like, no, it's it's Uncle Justin. No, it's Aunt Tiffany. Like, she is, she is very stringent on I've that. I've got a niece that calls her mom by her first name. And I, I, I say, no, not in my house. You're not doing that. That's disrespectful. This is all part of the informalization that's going on and the conditioning that's going on in this atheist country we're living in. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's what's, that's part of it. People don't call their chief chief. They call them by their first name. When I started at this place I work at now, I, my very first day I started calling him chief. And nobody was calling him by, by that. The chief gravitated towards me because he sensed that I was more respectful. And um, I wasn't doing it to gain favor. I did it out of respect for his position. Whether you guys like this man or not, he's our chief, and you should call him chief. And, and now everybody calls him chief. Same thing with the deputy chief and uh, the sergeants. I started that with the sergeants. In in a public setting, all my sergeants, I refer to them as sergeant. Everybody else calls them by their first name. And uh, now they're getting away from that, and they're doing it. So I just think that the informalities are a bad thing, even in law enforcement. You know, I'm enjoying this goatee, but that's part of the informalization. Um, the six-pocket pants, the 5'11s. We informalize law enforcement. Why, why shouldn't they spit on us now? And You know, they shouldn't. But you know what I mean? I mean, they, we've informalized it to where we're looking like more like the public now. Where we don't look, I mean, I don't see too many people bum rushing highway patrolmen. Uh, I was just getting ready to say the same thing. <laughs> well, it's the way they carry themselves. And, you know, they've interviewed people who've killed police officers. And that's one of the things they said. Oh, I, you know, I didn't attack that officer over there when he stopped me because that officer over there, I could tell his shoes were shining, his uniform was pressed and he was squared away and he looked ready to go. But this officer over here, he looked kind of sloppy and all this. Man, I, I think the same perceptions out there of us right now and we need to take the time to put on that uniform, make it look good. That's my thoughts. I have that personal feeling towards myself. When I look at old pictures of myself in uniform, I'm disgusted by what I see. That's the only, that's the only, the only thing I, so I can only imagine what other people thought. And I've still got a long way to go. Hmm. Well, don't be too hard on yourself. But you are but, improving. But, but the thing is, so as a city cop, because I'm, I'm both a city cop and a deputy. As a city cop, when you show up, you know, you're dealing with people more and stuff like that. They're more apt to be a lippy, et cetera. But when a deputy shows up, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, that's changed a little bit because the deputies used to wear the royal, royal French blue with us mm-hmm. in the leather belt and stuff like you know the load—that's a whole other podcast. The load-bearing vests I get from a standpoint on your back and making it feel better and things like that, and officer longevity. But when a trooper shows up, all oh, the bullshit stops because they do. They look squared away, and they are squared away, and they refuse to—at least in Kansas—to lower their standards. I mean, they hold to the tattoo thing. They hold to uniformity, to policy, to. Their cars looking the same. I mean, 
they refuse to lower their standards. And as a result, in my opinion, they are a more professional law enforcement agency than most. They're regarded higher. Yes. Isn't that I agree. So let's speak truth here, okay? So the media is talking about um, gun violence uh, uh, being uh, caused by guns in our society, all right? And so they've, they've turned this into a political agenda-driven narrative. And, um, you know, we talk about Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, you know, today in class, and I'm going to just give you some of his quotes. Um, he says that, Guns are not the problem or the solution to the school shootings. So uh, he says that gunpowder has been around for 500 years, but school massacres didn't start until 1966 at the Texas Tower in Austin by Charles Whitman. (coughs) We've had 150 years of repeating firearms, but not a single time did a kid do this until 1970s at a double murder in uh, California. And then we had Columbine with Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold in uh, 1999. That was really our first mass killing um, uh, other than the Charles Whitman. That was, that was really our first one. Then you had the Virginia Tech in 2007. Then you had Sandy Hook in 2012. And now you have one about every other week, it seems like. Um. But the facts are, okay, guns are in the scenario, but they're a symptom, maybe an outlier, but these people could still kill without guns. Um, We have, um, what about the parade where the guy ran over? Uh, It was was a hate crime, I think, that was probably never declared that. But uh, it was a racial hate crime where he ran over a crowd of um, parade participants and people that were just on the sidelines. And it's a high-speed vehicle attack. You know how many of those have happened in New York? Boston Marathon bombing, you know? Yeah. It's all the same. There's no guns involved in that. Right. Um, California has multitude of high-speed vehicle attacks that the media plays down because it doesn't fit their narrative. And they don't want that out there that, hey, just because we get rid of guns doesn't mean they can't kill. Seems to me, though, that these people that are attacking and doing these mass killings, these people are looking for soft targets. So if we're going to identify one of the problems or one of the solutions, we need to look at how to harden these targets and look at Israel and what they've done to harden their targets, their schools no longer get attacked and their school buses no longer get attacked. We could learn from what they, what they went through. Um, so your thoughts on that. So is that like a, so I've got kind of an example of from Kansas and I'm going to go to my expertise. I'm not necessarily expertise, but like medical marijuana and Kansas is going to be one of the last states to pass this, you know, but we will not write a bill and learn from other states on their stuff you know so like why can't we look at those other situations outside of the u.s like the research for medical marijuana they won't use that research it's got to be done here like is it our arrogance as americans we won't look outside of ourselves to learn from other people you know i mean that's kind of what that comes off of me comes off to me 
Mm-hmm. Well, in your case, the national narrative is legalize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're moving towards that. It's just a matter of time yeah, where it's going to be legalized. Um, but what concerns me is the overall mind control that they're attempting on Americans to get rid of their guns. That happens mm-hmm. in every socialist society, every communist society, and we know it doesn't turn out good. All you have to do is look down in Mexico. Guns are illegal there. And yet hundreds of thousands of citizens, if not a half a million, I believe, have been murdered by these gun, these gang members. The cartel runs Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> we're and, So my family, we're actually going to Mexico next month like for a wedding. And... Nerve-wracking. I wouldn't go. Well, and the narco-terrorism that's down there, they're beheading people, they're posting their heads up on signposts and decapitating and throwing their bodies in the river and just hundreds of people a day sometimes in some of the bigger cities in Mexico. Um, They're depopulating because they're rival members or perceived threats to the drug cartel. And some of the drug cartel you can see interviewed on television say, well, we did that to send a message. They didn't necessarily do anything wrong. We just did that to send a message. That if you do something wrong, this is what happens. So mm-hmm. back to the mental illness aspect in our country. Um, I think that, you know, there's early warning signs that someone's unhinged. Um that we could pick up on. And I want to read to you um, a study. Uh, I listened to a podcast between a neuroscientist, uh, Dave Anderson. He's a PhD, a professor of biology at the California Institute of Technology at Caltech. Um, he's also a member of the National Academy of Sciences and investigator for the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. He was on the Dave, David Huberman program. They, um, we're talking about an exposed a hormone called um, tacky nine. Um, it turns out that this neural condition is triggered most often from social isolation. This is a syndrome. A syndrome is a, a sympathetic nervous system reaction to stress from being isolated. Um, it involves a, a vagal nervous system that plays out in animal and people's emotions. So it's a brain-body connection uh, which creates emotions. This science tends to link social isolation to uh, the mass killers. And if you look at some of the mass killers, they, they were socially awkward and probably picked on and they were isolated. So what happened was they studied a family of mice and they separated one of the mice for several weeks from, from the pack. And then they reintroduced the mouse back into the pack. And it continued to self-isolate until night. And then it went around and killed each one of its siblings in the middle of the night. Holy and shit. they dissected these mice. They did it, they, I guess they did this repeatedly. And they found that it had a lot of this tacky nine in uh, attacking nine um, hormone, stress hormone in it from being isolated. That something changed chemically or in the brain neural pathways to make them um, more violent. And um, really, what I would call it is feral. 
you think about a feral animal, um, they attack and, and they'll kill anything around them um, because they cannot be introduced into um, a pack anymore. So there are feral packs, mm-hmm. but let me explain what I'm talking about. Okay. Back when I was a major, I was in charge of the animal control unit and um, I had to become a resident expert on animals at that point because we wanted to be a so-called no-kill city, no-kill animal control facility, right? Because we had been dinged in the past for too many animals that were being put to sleep. And um, so I had challenged our director to start catching all these feral dogs that were attacking people. Oh, yeah, we'll set out traps. Well, lo and behold, two months later, we hadn't caught one. Well, they're difficult to find. Well, I eventually isolated some of these animal rights people, and they said, we don't catch feral dogs because you cannot reintroduce them into a family. They will bite people. They, they, they will isolate, and they will attack them. And so we have to put them down. Is it possible that this can happen to people? Can they become feral? And, and, I mean, you look at the homeless. You talk about mental illness with the homeless. Um, a lot of people say, well, that's because of all the drugs they use. It altered their brains. Yeah, that's true. That's probably how they got to be homeless. Alcohol, drugs. Um, but have you, ever seen, have you ever tried to hold a conversation with a homeless person? Sometimes it's quite difficult uh, to get a story out of them. And they just want to get away from you. Or... We're seeing all these homeless people now picking up blades and attacking uh, citizens or picking up something heavy and hitting people. We're seeing a lot of that on the media now. Is it possible that they've over time become feral? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, we do all of our science experiments are done on mice because their brain chemistry is similar to ours. Mm -hmm. Just like um, pigs anatomy is similar to ours. So the, you know, surgical techniques or, whatever are you know done on them so that's scary yet interesting at the same time i mean it would it would stand to reason and also um you know i think we've only hit the tip of the iceberg as we were talking about a supper with with covid because you want to talk about social isolation i mean i any more here in hutchinson kansas just as a result which is a quote-unquote small town compared to you know new york wichita etc I if you go to Taco Bell at any re- really almost any given time, you're waiting in line for 45 minutes to an hour to get your food. Nobody wants to go inside. Nobody wants to talk to a person. Nobody wants to sit in the lobby and have conversations, do what we're doing right now, or do what we did at supper. Um, I find myself even wanting to door dash something or order something on an app so I don't have to deal with a person. And so now we have a whole population of people that have self-isolated, well, have isolated as a result of the pandemic and having to lock down. And I don't think they've come out of that. Um, And they're having to get medications to deal with chemical imbalances in their brain, maybe as a result of this. That may be people that, because again, with the neuroplasticity and humans being who they are, I think that if you remained active, if you still went outside and got sun, if you were rooted in a religion, 
things that helped keep you grounded, helped keep you feeling like you belong to something, whatever that may have been, probably not, didn't hit you nearly as hard. But I think in the, when we have come with that God vacuum that you were talking to, this makes sense. This makes perfect sense. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't think it's nearly as black and white as, you know, putting down an animal. You can't put down a human the same way that you put down a dog. Um, you know, and especially the neuroplasticity. If if they were someone that is just maybe struggling, they can, might be able to come back from well, it. Well, humans but have a soul, so they're rehabable. Yeah. Uh, animals don't have a soul. Yeah. I mean, I know we want to believe all dogs go to heaven, I know that, but they don't. And that's why we can put them down because they can't be reasoned with once they become schizophrenic. I mean, even the dog whisperer will tell you that. Yeah, right. Uh, once they're schizophrenic, you can't really break them of that. They just, they're violent. So there, there's a distinct difference right there. Um, I think that what everyone needs to belong to a pack. And there, we humans are also pack animals, I think. I mean, you have the rare examples of mountain men that can go off and live in the wild by themselves and be per- perfectly content. I have a friend like that. Uh, that I can call on the phone. He hadn't seen anybody in a week or two, and he's all good. But for the most part, we're pack animals. We need to know that we have a support system, and we need to belong, like you're talking about. Um, I think the largest family I've ever belonged to is a Christian, is a Christian faith family, where I'm always accepted, even in my failures. But the problem is, in junior high and high school and even elementary school, these kids are being rejected, and they're outcast, and it's pretty sad to have to go through that. I went through some of that. I moved a lot, so I have empathy for those kids. I moved um, from Kansas City to Springfield, Missouri, and then back to Kansas City, and different schools uh, probably attended from elementary to high school. I probably attended four different schools where I had to start over. Now... I spent some time in junior high as being the, the outcast and I had no pack. I had nobody but my dad, you know, and, but it was hurtful, but it drew me closer to God. And, and in my faith, I had somewhere to go other, other than just inside my own mind. And I think as a result of that, I built up some resiliencies. So it had a different effect on me and it was only temporary. It wasn't, long term it was at a formal uh forming time in my life where um i've never really 100 percent recovered from that experience in junior high where i didn't have any friends that one year in ninth grade Uh, and i was actually kind of pursued in a bad way uh, and had to fight my way out of a lot of situations that i didn't really like but um i think that um the difference between a christian and a non-Christian, I'm going to draw a bright line here. And if we're talking about psychology, I think the Christian has resiliency because they're tapping into a higher power. They're tapping into the Holy Spirit that's filling that vacuum, that's always comforting us, that's always nurturing us. And we have sort of a parent with us at all times um, leading us. And, you know, I spent sometimes even crying, I guess, when I was a kid thinking about all the rejection I was going through in ninth grade because I come from a school where I was kind of it. I was a big deal. And now I'm here and like, I'm totally rejected and it didn't make sense to me. I'm the same guy. 
just in a different environment. So I wonder if that's what's going on in the LGBTQ community. Like these kids are already oddballs because they're socially isolated because of their cell phones or the games they're on and they just don't know how to make friends. And so they see these other odd kids and they decide I want to be one of them because they seem to accept me. You know, it's interesting you say that. And actually another God thing, Mike Cressy just text me right as he was saying that. Do you remember what Mike Cressy said about that? Hmm. Did, did you ever listen to the Mike Cressy episode? Yes. He was, he was the man that yes. transitioned to a woman. Yeah. He said that exact thing. He said he looked at those people and he's like, they got it figured out. They, they belong. They're happy that they've got it figured out. I want to be one of them. Yeah. And you think about the, well, they call it privilege now, but you think about the kids that are better looking, that are automatically accepted, that are the popular ones. Okay. They're the ones that you want to sit at the lunch table with, right? You think about, how they never had to deal with that. So why would they have empathy for the kids that are the odd ducks? Where I think because I'm a Christian, I can have empathy for those kids that are going through what I had to go through and I can spot them immediately. And I'm like, okay, a good teacher who wasn't popular their whole life because they were an athlete and got more prima donnas, a good teacher can spot that and they should intervene and they should begin to challenge others to make friends with that kid because these are the kids I think that are going off off the deep end over time. They're isolated. They're probably developing this tacky nine um, problem and um, they're becoming fantasy driven rage. Revenge is my theory of what's going on. And it's also because they don't have God. My gosh, we could solve this problem if the parents would lead their kids to Christ you don't see too many church-going Christian kids picking up guns and killing everybody. Do you? Not one that and I yet, can think of. the Christians have been labeled as the problem in society. We're the haters. Go figure. How is that? We're speaking truth, which is the enemy right now, because they, they think that we're trying to condemn them. And we're not. We're just telling you what the Bible says, and we're we're showing you that this is exactly where we're at in society. I mean, this was two thousand years ago, and this was spoken, and we're literally watching it happen. And what I fear for our country is God called Israel the apple of His eye, and look what happened to them. Think about the Holocaust. several several times. <laughs> Yeah, more than once. Yeah. <laughs> just the most recent history, look at the Holocaust. He allowed that to happen to them. And they're still his chosen people. And look how much more he has blessed the United States than he blessed them. And we've turned our back on God. That scares me, my friends, and my grandkids. I mean, I'm willing to lay my head on the chopping block, you know, uh, for what I believe. But my poor grandkids are going to be going through a society that... That they didn't cause. So that bothers me. You talk about the homeless and the isolation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd be interested to know um, on that, like, would it be worse for homeless people in like Hutchinson, Kansas? Because they're more isolated. You know, there's not as many of them. They're not like, whereas like New York City, you know, they're living in big camps 
mm-hmm. and stuff and in California and Oregon and they're setting up these camps and they're like together. You know, would you say that it'd be more like in Hutch, they're going to be more likely to be violent than in those big cities? You know, that's interesting. We had several homeless camps in Kansas City, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one behind the old ventures. We had one um, underneath the um, James Street Bridge. And um, several homicides came out of that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, even though they commune and share resources, they have a hair trigger violent reaction. The yeah. perception of anyone stealing from them. There's a lot of rapes, both uh, hetero and homosexual rapes that go on. Um, it's a very complex um, thing. I remember, okay. I can tell you about one thing that really bothered me. We had a woman that was carted off to the hospital. When they found her in the park, she had a limb stuck in her vagina where she had been brutally, digitally raped by another homeless person in her camp. He had done this to several women before he was finally removed. He he hurt her so bad they had to disimpel her at, at KU Hospital, and she was unconscious. Um, during that process. I mean, he beat her senseless before he did that to her. And it's just, who can explain this kind of, I was coming to work one day, I was a major, and I was in my SUV, and a guy just walks out in front of me, and it's like, I don't know, it's dark out, and it's like seven in the morning, because I always got to work an hour early. And, you know, I lit him up with, with my police unit even though it was an unmarked car i laid him up and just kind of gave him the tapped on the horn and he said he gave me the finger and f f you'd me and um this is a homeless guy that uh, they'd been having problems there on strawberry hill and i spun around on him man and he was walking down the on-ramp so i couldn't drive down there and i couldn't get to the guy but i was infuriated by him he just challenged me he kept challenging me like come on down here my like, boy, you have no idea what I would do to you right now if I could catch you. Um, and he just kept on walking. And like, F you, F the police, all that kind of stuff. This is a homeless guy. And those people are like, in my opinion, I feel like they're just backed in a corner and they don't care anymore. A little bit. Like, what else do I have to lose? Yeah, bit. I mean, I could be his payday. You're right. I thought yeah. about that later because I kind of scared myself with the rage that I hadn't seen in a long time in mm-hmm. me. And I kind of scared myself. Yeah, um, you're and right. The same with some of the some of the like stealing and the rape and that kind of stuff. What do I have to lose? I'm already homeless. I don't have a family. I don't have friends. Well, let's don't take it too far. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think that they're processing things like from a helpless because a lot of these people are offered places to stay. They're offered resources and they refuse them. Yeah, um, they just don't fit back into society, nor yeah. do they want to. So I think it's more of a a reckless abandonment, like a godless, hateful, would kill you if I had a chance mm-hmm. mentality. I don't think it's like, but there is some of that, I, I mean, on my part, where I don't want to just be like a, a Mr. Lottery driving around writing checks my ass can't cash, you know, by beating the snot out of people. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way beyond that. But he made me want to, and I hadn't felt that rage in a long time. And But it wasn't just because of me personally. It was because of 
absolute total disrespect. If he's doing this to a cop, what's he going to do to a citizen, mm-hmm. a little old woman driving through there? You know, if he could get his hands on her, that's what outraged me about that scenario. So, um, well, also look at so the sciences of his experiment was the of that that thing the experiment he mentioned was that mo- mouse was just removed for a couple of weeks. It mentions nothing of you know Nate, the nurture that the mouse received in the family or whatever it is that mice do as a family unit. Then adding in substance abuse too, you know, if they were applying methamphetamine to them or crack cocaine to them, and then seeing what their reaction is, you could probably answer your question better. But yeah, like, that's like, true. like, like Bill said, you know, you're trying to analyze, you're trying to analyze apples to oranges there, mm-hmm. um, and so plus they're not operating from a place of logic. Um, there's, there's no. There's no logic. There's no rhyme or reason. I mean, you're trying to to understand a brain that is impaired either by that hormone or by substances. They're in survival mode, whether survival mode is finding food and shelter or finding that next hit. Yeah. I mean, when you when you talk about the amygdala and the 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 four brain, I think is what they usually call that. Uh, You know, they do the four F's fight, flight, feed and fornicate. You know, those are the things that it knows how to do. And that's kind of where, you know, we live in a relatively easy society right now. So, you know, our on Maslow's hierarchy, we're definitely more at the top. You know, we're not at the bottom. So, um, you know, understanding how that, that midbrain or that forebrain works is just a caveman brain. Think of a caveman and what a caveman would do to survive or what a caveman would do to get what they want or look back at young children when their their brains were developing and they didn't know the don't hit, don't do this, don't do that, what did they do? They would hit, kick, bite, scratch, cry, whatever it was to get whatever it is they wanted. So that I think that's the lens that you really need to look at that at. But to go back a little bit um, on what you were talking about, when you said we, we all want to you know belong to something or we all want to fit in or whatever, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that because... I went through the same thing of the social, uh, uh, I shouldn't say social isolation. I mean, I just was the fat cops kid that played video games and I wasn't popular. Nobody wanted to hang out with me. Some stuff I carry to this day. I had a friend that told me that, um, you know, you need Maybe to they were just scared of you because you're inviting. six four, my friend. I wasn't then. <laughs> um, I was a fat, pudgy piece of shit then. Um, no, you weren't. And I, uh, you know, he was saying, like, dude, why do you keep asking to come over to my house? Do you always invite yourself over? Stop inviting yourself over to my house. And I even carry that to this day where people are like, hey, why didn't you come to my kid's birthday party? I told you when it, or like, you know, like, well, you didn't ask me to come. Like, I'd heard about it from like Nate. Like, Nate told me it was coming, but like, you didn't ask me. And so, like, I still carry that to this day. So there's right. that, that belonging. So, when you're giving me words of encouragement, when Rashad was giving me words of encouragement right. in those texts, when Nate gives me words mm-hmm. of encouragement, like those hit like a ton of effing bricks to me. Yeah, like man. I take those in and I soak those in like a sponge mm-hmm. and they are absolutely fulfilling. Yeah. And, you know, as a result of getting that fulfillment, and like I said at, at supper, I had good mentorship when Rashad's like, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I had good mentorship right. and I That's had right. good people there fulfilling me and filling me up. And I try to give that same in return. And that's why I learned in this leadership class that I'm a blue, I'm a people, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to fill people up. I don't want people to ever feel the way I felt 
Yeah. When I see people getting treated badly, it and you want to talk about enraging. Mm-hmm. I, I get moved to acts of violence when I see people getting treated badly. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I do what I do. Well, try to uh, also remember that we have a Heavenly Father that we're all going to go to. And uh, try to remember that Christ died for us. And um, he's there, always there for us. His Holy Spirit is always working through us and with us. And um, we don't need man's approval. And we're going to get it less and less. So try to remember that, that uh, as as we journey, we're probably going to be liked less and less, and we're probably going to be mistreated. So that's kind of where, um, be careful about allowing others. It's good to let people speak into your life, but be careful, and I have to tell my son this all the time because he's a people pleaser, be careful about letting that rule over you because you're going to get a domineering person in your life that's just going to rule you, uh, whether it's a wife or a friend that's going to, you know, try to keep your friendship around. I actually recently cut off a friendship. Right. That So I, I took your advice to heart prior Good. to ever getting here. <laughs> Good. So how do we recover our sanities? Um, I think we need to detox our brains from all the social media. We need to get our kids away from it. I, I, let me just share one example. When I got saved, it was at an early age, like 13. And it was on day three of the camp retreat. And what they've learned is it takes about, now this is the Christian leaders who, who've learned this, uh, uh, youth leaders. It takes about three days of detoxing your brain before you're actually open to learn new information and, and for these kids to get saved. And that it happened on us on day three. I mean, where you get out of this pit of you want to be popular and all these things that are going on in the culture. The hustle and bustle society yeah. and the way it rolls. And that's why they took us up to the mountains where we had no access to mom and dad or anybody else. And on day three, we all got saved. We all surrendered our hearts to Christ. Are we seeing that with our kids? I mean, are we getting them out on a way and detoxing their brains? How are they going to find Christ? I wouldn't have. If I hadn't had this indoctrination process, I guess, where they knew to get us out of the city and into the mountains and around campfires and singing Christian songs and learning about the love of Christ. Are we giving that to our kids? That was some of my fondest memories from the church. Growing up, we'd go to Camp Horizon, which is down by Ark City. And it's, I mean on a hill overlooking the Arkansas River Valley. and Beautiful. Yes. And it was a week-long deal. No phones, the same thing. You know, and it's 200 kids out here. And I'm so places, glad to hear you say that, Nate. Places like that struggle. Yeah. You know, they're not near what they used to be. And, like, even growing up in the church, like, I had a really good group of friends. I'm still friends with all those guys today. Um, Sweet. We were all in youth group together. And, like, my church hasn't had a youth group like that since. There's been a few smaller groups, but, I mean, we had, like, 20 kids in this youth group. And that's just, it doesn't happen like that anymore, it seems like. That was your pack and yeah. the closeness you felt. Like, right after I got saved, that born-again uh, feeling that I had was, uh, I'm totally cleansed of my sin. And I'm just floating on a cloud. I mean, it lasted for three days maybe mm-hmm. in my case i mean 
it wasn't an intellectual change. It was a an emotional and um, spiritual um, change when God imparted His Spirit inside of me. And uh, yeah, I sure I still had this body, the flesh that was still growing, but now within me planted a seed that I was nurturing, uh, and over time it's overtaking all of my bad habits. Mm-hmm. So this is this was good, guys. Well, thank you. I think that, you know, for me, it's with my kids. Like, I've talked many times on here, shutting off Instagram, Facebook, all of the freaking news sources. Um, like, for instance, when you mentioned Knoxville, hadn't heard of it. The, the Really about the only time I hear about those things and do research into them is when you text me. I because hadn't heard I, about that either. Because I, I trust that information from you. If, if you've, got, you've done it, you've screened it, I'll trust it, and then I'll look into it. So um, I shut all that stuff off, and that was the single best thing I've ever done for my mental health in the history of, of what I've done in my life, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have an Instagram, which is now getting overly sexualized. When you scroll through the feed, I mean, it's basically women, you know, intentionally juggling their, their boobs or their butt, uh, you know, scantily clad, etc. cetera. Um, but with my kids, you know... With Eli, I'm 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 learning how to parent because he's my first kid, and I've made mistakes, and I still continue to make Wasn't mistakes. Wasn't he but, on one of your broadcasts? Yeah. Okay. Um, and he, you know, there are times with my kids that technology is unacceptable, and they know better. Meal times, technology is absolutely unacceptable. Meal like toys, um, devices. When we are seated at the table as a family, t- those things are unacceptable. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the day. We're going to talk about what you did, what you went through. We're going to have some laughs, whatever it is. Sometimes we argue. Um, so, you know, having those times and having those breaks, because I know you said the three days, but like, if you think about it in the culmination of things, even if it's think, think about working out, the science is behind working out. If you do 24 minutes a day as a cop, this is from emotional survival as a law enforcement officer that you can make it to where your body does not deteriorate from being a cop, from the poor sleep, poor food, um, you know, the, uh, the, the adrenaline dumps continuously, etc. So think about that in the life of your children. If 15, 20 minutes a day you can get them away from those devices, the cult, cumulative effect that will have over the course of the 18 years in your house. Um, because I understand that that stuff is kind of inculcated and it's, it's how our children communicate. And like, for instance, like Snapchat, um, you know, is something I was extremely reluctant to let Elijah have, but I have mentored to my son and I trust my son and I, he's becoming a man and I'm not going to be able to control him. So if he's going to make the mistakes, I want him to make it now to where I can give him a soft landing uh, easier. Um, so, you know, and then I've also learned with my other kids, they still do not have a smart device. Elijah, by this time, had a smartphone. But he also knows at bedtime, the expectation is the phone's down. Right. It's on do not disturb. You're focusing on your sleep. Head on a pillow. And when he doesn't, I, I continually bother him. Head on a pillow. Head on a pillow. Head on a pillow. Head on a pillow. To where it annoys him. So he's like, ah, fine. And then the phone goes down. And I still got what I wanted, right? I still got the phone going down. Um, and like this morning, I tried something new. 
Um, he struggles getting out of bed because the first thing he does is roll over, catching up on Snapchat, you know, catching up on texts, you know, catching up on my DMs and Instagram, whatever it was. And I was like, I wonder. So normally he's getting up and getting into the shower like legit last minute every morning. I mean, no matter what we do, no matter how we bother him, no matter what we do. And I was like, hmm, I have an idea. So I went in and I woke him up this morning and I took his phone and I unplugged it. And I said, hey, I said, this will be waiting in the bathroom for you when you go to take a shower. He was up 30 minutes earlier this morning than he has ever been in in this school year. And and if I can use that phone as a motivator to get him up and around and start yeah. his day off on the right foot, get the, get things going, maybe get a breakfast in, what I'm I'm going to do it. I'm I'm hundred percent going to use it to my advantage. Um, sure. Because I'm going to do at this point, I'm going to do more damage than like seizing the device and taking it. I mean, it's just it's bad. And 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 if you're listening to this podcast, please, I beg you, put off a smartphone for your child as long as yeah. humanly effing possible. Right. Even if that's hey, when you're 18, you can have one when you get out of my house. Whatever it is. Give a cheap take it for me. Phone if you just need to know where yeah. you're at. Take it for me. I didn't get one until I was a sophomore. Yeah. I had a flip phone until then. And and if you are going to give it to them, base it base it on their maturity level, not their age, yeah. not what other kids have, and 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 here's the big part. Monitor it. Set up set right. up those um parenting controls yeah. that are on those devices. Do it early. Set up time limits. Do it early and be present. And everything that gets set up. So if they sign up for, say, a Snapchat, as an example, most of the time you can't sign up for those things until you're 13. Usually that's mostly the end user license agreement stuff. But sign up, put in their real date of birth. And even if you don't want your kid's date of birth out there, I get that. Put in a fake one that's similar to theirs so that those parenting controls that are in those apps are being used. And then... You know, some some of those companies will keep adults from seeing those children or being able to add those children to those devices without a parent saying that's acceptable, that's fine. So if they're signing up for these accounts, sign them up. Don't let them do it. You do it. So put every single stop in the way that you can when they do finally get a device and then slowly maybe introduce them into those things as they gain knowledge in this world and as they gain maturity in this world and as you are mentoring them through that process please learn from my mistakes i beg you your life will be better when i was a kid leave it to beaver that's what we got leave it to beaver i mean there was always a moral at the end of the story beaver got into all kinds of trouble while i kind of you know call him a knucklehead but um, there was always something positive that came out of mom and dad lecturing beaver we all we all got cured from, but we're not seeing that kind of programming anymore. We're seeing just the opposite. So, you know, something that struck me when you were talking um, is about uh, the, the habits of highly effective people. Um, they, they interviewed men that were um, very prosperous and very effective, and they were CEOs and stuff. And one of the things they had in common was... They got up early, so there was some sleep deprivation, um, or they went to bed early on time. And, but they got up early, at least an hour before they had to get ready for work. They did a brief workout, usually something cardiovascular, and they, they read for about 15 to 25 minutes. And 
um, there's something about that combination of exercise and then um, plugging in your brain that um, is very healthy emotionally for you and uh, keeps you on track. Now, what I've done since I learned that is I'll get up and I'll spend I'll spend about 15 to 25 minutes reading five to seven pages uh, of a Christian based book um, or the Bible. And then I'll try to go ride my bike or uh, get on the treadmill. When you say bike, you're saying like bicycle. Bicycle, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I just picture you on a Harley with huge ape. I used to. With huge ape hangers. <laughs> yeah, mine were mini apes. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Well, it's interesting because, again, look at this from uh, the aspect of what we used to do. Back when, like back in biblical days or the days where you were doing more of like the hunting, foraging type stuff, you know, you're getting up early because you're trying to get there before the animals are up and around and you're trying to hide because they're going to see you. So then you're up and around, you're getting an exercise in, uh, and then you're going to be killing an animal, at which point now you're going to have to use your brain on how to, how to do that, how to outsmart it. You're outthinking it. Um, then you're potentially, you're cleaning that animal. You're probably mentoring to your child who's watching you do that and all that other kind of stuff. You're eating, you know, that meal and then you're kind of then starting whatever they did through their day. So, you know, there's some, there's definitely some things that are rooted in us as humans that, that support that, mm-hmm. at least in my mind and what I think about from, from, uh, you know, what we used to be in those days to where we are now. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've certainly gotten away from not only God, but just again, in his natural order. And, and I am guilty of that too. I, I say, we, I'm saying this royal sense of we, I mean, and I'm included in we, but well, recognizing feral, it and changing it. Sorry. These feral kids that, um, are the outcasts in society. We've got to get them back into the pack. They have souls so we can reach them. They're not going to bite us, but. I do run into some of them on campus, and they are difficult to reach. Um, they outright reject people that approach them. But I'm, I'm thinking of how Christ is the answer, and he, he can reach them. Um, he can reach anyone. Darren Porsche that we just had on is a really great example of that. I mean, he is a very large, boisterous man. Um, you know, I had to adjust the microphone levels constantly when he was in here. He cussed a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but when, when, um, you know, it was interesting when he started talking about his suicidal ideations to the point that he knew where his uncle, if I remember correctly,'s gun was, mm-hmm. and he was sitting there with it in his hand and he talked himself into blowing his brains out. Yeah. He's like, I had the gun in my hand and he got really quiet, really somber really slowed his speaking down and you could hear that he was struggling through those words and he was struggling emotionally with getting those words out without breaking down. He was at that point where he was willing to destroy the creation that God knitted in his mother's womb and he had the free will to do it. God intervened in a small way, in my opinion, in that, in that time with a young child opening the door which I, I think was his nephew, he mm-hmm. said. Um, Little cousin. Or cousin. Yeah, yeah, cousin. Hey, let's go play 2K. Let's go play 2K. And so he's, he's hiding this gun as he hears the door open. Okay, little man, I'll go play 2K with you. 
That was God's very first intervention in his life of like, it's not your time. Fast forward to him moving to Sterling, Kansas. He'd lost a brother to gun violence in the uh, officer-involved shooting. And he hated us. Hated us. He gets back into abusing alcohol, drugs, becomes suicidal, has law enforcement interaction as a result. And he's at a Christian college. And Sarge intervenes in his life through Christ. I mean, didn't didn't preach or evangelize to him or anything like that. But I asked Porsche, I said, what changed? Like, what changed about that made you not hate us anymore? And he's like, you cared. You cared. And I saw it. So I 100% agree with you that those people are reachable. And it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take energy. But they, they are reachable. They are, you're able to change hearts through Christ. And it's not, I shouldn't say Christ is changing hearts through us. It's not us changing their hearts. That's, that would be the act. We are not God. We are not Christ. But us being Christ-like is what's going to make those changes. One thing that, like, I see um, can help with this is, like, preventative measures into this. And my mom, she works for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And that company or nonprofit, whatever you want to call it, they are doing amazing things to help those kids that are in those bad spots, in those bad homes, and getting them mentors to where they don't turn into that feral kid, that feral person. But the issue is, is those type of places are underfunded, and those people are overworked. And like my mom's job, her turnover rate for that job is high. You know, they don't keep someone in my mom's position for a long time because of the hours she has to work. And like stuff like that needs to be more available and more pushed in our society, I feel like. Well, I don't see any of those organizations preventing the church from stepping up Mm-mm. and doing uh, what they're designed to do. There's the key. Yeah. I love that. I mean, the churches could be doing what uh-huh. your mom's doing mm-hmm. yeah. as a social outreach. And there's not even too many churches even speaking to the culture uh, from what I see. And that's why I think we're seeing an apostasy in our age where the churches have departed from the truth. And they're leaning towards money and fame. And the pastors um, are the wolves in a lot of these churches, I believe. They think they're the shepherds and spreading the word and but they're wolves i think and i mean that's harsh but well and i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna go along with you on this uh in the sense of like also you know people think i go to church on sunday i've done my duty to god now i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna live whatever life yeah. i want right yeah i think churches are doing the same in the sense of like i'm gonna open the doors on sunday and i'm gonna talk to you yeah. and then see you next week mm-hmm when there's so much more to it than that, it's not just putting your butt in a pew on Sunday, but it's also not just showing up on Sunday as the pastor and then preaching the word and then yeah. going home. And it's not like the youth groups with the good farm kids and that kind of thing that need, like those kids don't necessarily need that. Like it's good for them. Like my group of friends, you know, like the kids that really need it are the ones that are big brothers, big sisters are fighting, you know, those yeah. churches need to find those people. Yeah, I think um, 
I think that we are witnessing the apostasy um, and that's in the vacuum of good, honest, you know, pastors. Um, we're, we're seeing uh, the culture sneak into the church and they're trying to, it's called seeker sensitive, but they're trying to appease the culture. They want to become a part of the culture, take the church to the culture. Well, that's never what the Bible prescribed. We're supposed to be set apart. That's what whole books in the Bible were written about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But the, what do we see? We see current culture music that uh, may, yeah, it may have words that are different from the culture, but the same sounds are there. Like my son's very sensitive to that. I didn't tell you. I want to give you a quick update. My son, my youngest, that had struggled with depression, um, he came out of it. He started going to church. He got he got saved. It's a long story on how he got saved. He got saved. He got baptized. Hasn't missed, missed but one session, and that was because of school uh, in nine months. Wow. And this church has nothing but elderly in it, and he loves it. And they love him. And well, it's just amazing. It's, I mean, it's it's there's the truth. Like you were saying, there's the truth in that. And it's it seems, I mean, if you're there, I trust that it's it's biblical that they're following those teachings. And there's something to it also, the mentorship from you as a godly man. And, I mean, that's a testament to you as well. well I mean, I know that. It's not really me. It's, it's I mean, I was there as a dad. I never left his side. But we had our struggles. But oh, I, yeah. I'll say it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but you, you had the free will yeah. as to whether or not to pray or, or, to yeah. pray or not, you know, yeah. and. Not really. <laughs> Not really. God woke me up <laughs> uh, through tears and whatever. I, I, it was, it was involuntary. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's phenomenal to hear. But I, I want to also share on the dark side of what you were talking about with suicide with your last podcast guy. Um, you know, I worked hundreds and hundreds of community deaths, um, hundreds of homicides. The hardest ones for me to visit were suicide scenes. And if people just knew how they were impacting their families and what happened to their bodies afterwards. I mean, I've seen women get dressed up and then swallow a bunch of pills and die. Well, they're going to take all those clothes off you and they're going to do an autopsy and they're going to cut you and throw your brains on the table and weigh it and they're going to pull your guts out and weigh it. Um, If you knew... um, what would happen to yourself afterwards, you probably would not want to do that. Not to mention how hurtful that is to the survivors of it. You're traumatizing people that will never get over it. And how much of that is passed on to the next generation. Mom did it. Mm. I see that a lot. Mom did it. Yeah. So it's an option. And um, it's, it's another like, thing that's desensitized. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's a badge of honor sometimes in a way. Man, I would walk into a suicide scene and I would feel this uh, heaviness, this darkness uh, surround me. And you can feel the oppression in the room. By the way, they got the room set up. It's dark and there's, you know, it's unclean. It's disorganized. I mean, who does that remind you of? Satan. I mean, there's a demonic oppression that has hit that person. And, you know, until a point to where they were beat down so much that they just took their own life. I've heard testimonies of people that survived their suicide attempts, like jumped off a bridge or shot themselves incorrectly or left their bodies for a short time from an overdose. 
then came back. These people have said that a second after they died, they instantly knew it was a mistake. Or the second they jumped off that bridge, they instantly said, uh-oh, what am I doing? So these people are tricked, they're duped, they're deceived into doing this through their demonic oppressions that's that's hit them. You look at the characters in the Bible that could kill themselves. Um, you know, Judas and several others that are in there that killed themselves. It didn't go well for them. And um, it's it's bothers me because I worry for their souls. These people that kill themselves, and um, but you can't pray for the dead. Their lives are over. There's hope for you as long as you're still breathing. And believe me, as a police officer, I even considered it in my younger years. I had to take that option off the table, and that happened when I became a Christian cop. My mission changed. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about others. So. I want to put that out there. I know it's dark to talk about and think about, but if people just understood how terrible that is to the survivors, I think they would reconsider it because it's one of the most selfish things you can do. Hurtful things too. So was like probably one of the most profound conversations I've had in a long time. Me too. Got a lot to think about. Gosh, I mean, between supper and today, I feel like I've, or in this, I feel like I've lived a lifetime in these last, like, two hours. Like, I've gained, like, but a lifetime. you were with me worth. four hours through class today. He <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that stuff. <laughs> Wasn't that impressive, I guess. I was trying to tell he you. He said he was snoring in the back. <laughs> uh, he was trying to tell me, move on. You're, I was you're... just trying to tell him nicely. It wasn't that profound. It <laughs> <laughs> was a nice roundabout way to yeah. say it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you read between the lines there. <laughs> I, I'm not hurt. I've been through worse. <laughs> Man, that was that was intense. It was it was a good evening? Yeah, like I, I'm glad you came too, man. Like a few years ago, like I never would have just like I just came to dinner with you guys. I didn't. I knew Bill and I knew you, but you're like I'm with a few guys. I'm like, should I go to dinner with them? Like I've done the same thing with you and your friends. I know, but it's like a, looking back a, a bunch few of years dirty ago, cops. Like, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I wouldn't have stepped out and had that conversation, but I did. And it was a great conversation and led to this. And I'm extremely thrilled about the conversation we had tonight. And I hope that somebody listens to this and it helps them. You know, it just helps one person. That's, that's the goal. Hopefully it helps a lot more than that. But yeah, man. Um, we appreciate you coming on, Bill. I'm sure we're going to do it again. <laughs> I'm sure we yeah. will. It's an excellent adventure. You had ten you pages guys. of notes, and I feel like we only made it through like three. No, we did all of them. We did. Brother. Okay, have, I had a lot of space in between. Okay. Have you noticed how like he was the interviewer this time? Hey, it's all right. Yeah, it was awesome. It was. I was like, woohoo! All I have to do is watch the volume monitors and like, <laughs> <laughs> like yay! No, it was and good. answer a question here and there. I love it. It was great. Yeah, a lot easier is. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to to come on here. Thanks, guys, for giving me that opportunity. And yeah. um, I'll, I'll keep following you guys. We I, appreciate it. I like all the um, stuff. Uh, to the point, I think is one of your broadcasts. I like listening to that. So you guys throw it together pretty good. Appreciate it. Um. So I think we're just gonna wrap it up now, and um. Thank you guys for listening to the higher points and we hope that you take this and you learn something from it. And I hope you guys have an awesome week. And also, um, 
appreciate uh like the likes and shares and everything and um if you guys would uh um go check out our social medias our website at the higher points our facebook and uh we appreciate you guys and uh we'll see you later i want to take one step here again another leap of faith that's just hit me i don't know if it's okay with you guys i want to close out in prayer is that cool sounds good all right Dear Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to gather in fellowship and speak your word and speak your truth into hopefully the hearts and minds and souls of many people that will listen to this podcast. We just are so humbled before you that you gave your son to die for our sins that we are not worthy of. And even though you knew exactly that this world would be exactly what it is today, Lord, just continue to speak through us to speak your truth into this world, Lord to bring a little bit of up there down here. We are truly humbled in your name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.